1: all right gang welcome back Hour three of sports talk saturday underway i'm going back to the Wester hotline because joining me now is mark stein you can check out his substack and newsletter over at markstein.substack.com it's the stein line and he joins us now on the Wester hotline to talk some nba finals maybe a little sabers and bills too towards the end as i know mark is a, is especially a big sabers fan mark thanks so much for joining me on your saturday afternoon i very very much appreciate it
2: no problem at all good to be in the 716
1: Indeed it is, especially this time of year June, I mean there is no better place to be than Western New York in the middle of summer It's not too hot and uh, the weather's great, it's great for golfing. for me, I'm a big golf guy, but Mark I wanted to talk to you about, and we know in June NBA Finals time, what a game won uh, between the Warriors and the Celtics the other night, and I kind of want to bring you on and talk about it, and uh, one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is the the Warriors collapse in that fourth quarter Um, Talk to me a little bit about whether or not that was something you were expecting considering earlier in that game you know the Warriors kind of go on a run the Celtics cut it down and when the Warriors went on that second run in the third quarter it really felt like the coffin had been closed but that defense from the Celtics and that timely uh the timely shot making from from Brown and from some of the other players on that Celtics offense talk to me through a little bit about game one and what it maybe sets the stage for for the rest of that series.
2: honestly, I think the whole league is shocked. I mean, that was a classic Warriors third quarter throughout their five trips to the finals in a row. You know, they were known as a third quarter team, and that was just a third quarter haymaker that they hit Boston with. So the way the Celtics turned it around on a night that Jason Tatum is shooting three for 17, uh, no one saw that coming, and certainly not in Golden State's building, and they made know-it-alls like me look pretty stupid because, I look, I really thought coming into the series that the Warriors' experience, especially in game one, would tell. I mean, nobody on this Boston team had any finals experience. And the reality is it is different. It is a completely different atmosphere to any other kind of NBA game. And I thought the Celtics, The combination of the lack of experience but also adjusting to the way golden state plays because the warriors offense is so much different than anybody else's in the league because of the pace they play at and the randomness of the offense where they get their shots on the floor just it's it's a complete you know a huge difference from playing the jimmy butler centric miami heat but i mean boston handled all of it they handled the big stage they handled The third quarter, they handled their superstar shooting the ball terribly. And, you know, to me, Boston had to win one of these first two games to win this series. I did not have them winning game one absolutely not.
1: Mark, I, I've got to sort of ask you, and, and there's two guys that on, on the Celtics team, especially in Game 1, that I thought were really the reasons why they won, and that's Derek White and, of course, Al Horford. And And I want to first ask you about Al Horford because it's hard for me to think of another NBA. I'm, I'm a big fan, especially of NBA history, and I'm having a tough time trying to compare a career arc to Al Horford. It's a guy that had so many playoff appearances and had so much success in the playoffs. To see his What it looked like, his career ending over the last two years, coming back and not only being a starting caliber piece to this Boston team, but a pivotal piece to this run, I can't think of any sort of reemergence of really – super, so borderline superstar level play in a game one of a final. I mean, 27 points doing what he did was unbelievable in game one, but he has sort of been the story and the glue that's put together this entire Celtics team throughout this playoff run.
2: Yeah. That's why they wanted him back so badly. I think they realized pretty quickly after he left that they missed the intangibles and, and you know, Al Horford was not a three-point shooter for the bulk of his career. That's something he's really developed late career. And, I mean, you know, I doubt he shoots it again like that in this series. I mean, that was, you know, the night of his life from from deep. But he has become a very capable three-point shooter. And, and really, his return, it, it really puts the spotlight on Brad Stevens. Mm. And I will, I will say that, I was highly skeptical of Brad Stevens, a lifelong coach. In the NBA, we had only known him as a coach, obviously coming from the college ranks. He had no front office experience, not, you know, nothing. There was nothing to indicate that that would be a seamless fit to go from Danny Ainge, who's really one of the most accomplished executives right. in the league, right. for Boston to turn this over to brad stevens and brad stevens first move very quickly last off season was to, to get al horford back and between getting al horford hiring ime udoka and trading for Derek white who you also mentioned and i've always been a huge Derek white fan i live i'm based in texas i've seen him a ton with the spurs and i was in china with the usa basketball in 2019 when Derek white was on the feeble world cup team that had a, it had a terrible world cup but you know Derek white Uh, never really hit his full potential in san antonio and that was again a pretty gutsy in-season move for brad stevens to give up a first round pick to you know that was a win now move you know the celtics really you know in february they saw that this team had a a win now ceiling that we weren't talking about the celtics in february like they had championship potential so Brad Brad Stevens is on quite a hot streak right now.
1: There's no doubt about it. And listen, I mean, this is a team that, you know, was below 500 at the halfway mark of the year. I mean, it's well noted. To see them go on the second-half run that they did, get through the gauntlet of teams in the East that they got through, to get here to the finals I think is one of the more improbable runs for a team getting to the finals, Mark. And I I, I guess for me – each series, you just keep hearing, especially against Miami. Well, you know, a great defense, but will they be able to? You know, will they be able to guard the three-point shooting of of Hero and Duncan Robinson? And then neither of those guys really had any impact on the series. And then it became about physicality. Well, they can't necessarily be as physical. And is is Robert Williams going to be able to play in every game because he'll be a huge reason why? We see what Bam Adebayo did when he wasn't in the lineup compared to when he was. And I just I keep thinking about these series. And I go back to the to the Milwaukee series, Mark. Where well, there's just no way the be able to match up against Giannis, and there's no way they their defense, their depth, you seeing Pritchard, what he did in game one, Derek White. I mean, I think I saw NBC Sports put Derek White's performance had uh was was like the Leon Poe game, which I think is an awesome uh, you know, like Boston playoff memory. I, I just gotta th- I gotta say from across the board that Coaching their depth and their bench players, to see that happen in game one was great. But if you're just paying attention to the NBA for the finals, this happened in every series in the lead up to the finals.
2: Yeah, look, I do think, I do think in general, I agree with, with pretty much everything everything you said. I would say the one maybe caveat is, you know, Milwaukee didn't have Chris Middleton. Right, and I, right. I think that's a big, a big absence. But you have to applaud the Celtics, you know, go back to the regular season. They went after the number two seed, and Milwaukee kind of happily settled into the three seed. And the reason that was such a big deal was because the number two seed meant you were going to get Brooklyn in the first round. And the Nets, even though they had an absolutely nightmare regular season with Kyrie Irving not even playing in half the games, the Nets still carry a significant fear factor. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. were questioning why do the Celtics want the number two seed? But they not only beat the Nets, they swept them. And yes, they got an assist with no Middleton in the Milwaukee series. Yes, they got an assist to a degree in the Eastern Conference Finals because so many Miami players were playing with injuries. But look, Robert Williams and Marcus Smart have been banged up too. And after game one in these finals, um, nobody's talking caveats with the Celtics. They have the whole basketball world's attention after that fourth quarter.
1: There's no doubt about it. Uh Mark, I wanna kinda move on to some other storylines in the NBA as we approach the off season and the end of the finals here as it uh as it plays out. <clears throat> and and I wanted this is going to be a selfish admission here, but as a Knicks fan, I'm hoping that you're going to give me some good news about what this offseason has in store for the Knicks um, and sort of what your thoughts are about this this organization's trajectory because after last year, Mark, it looked like they had been trending in the right direction. This year was a bit of a step back for the organization and something that I think if you followed Tom Thibodeau's career around, this is kind of the the tipping point for Tom Thibodeau's teams is can he get it into – can he – he gets them to that to that? place and then they take a drop back but can they find their way back to what they were in 2020? And if they are, who's going to be along for the ride? Well you know
2: I think in this case Thibodeau's a victim of his own success because the Knicks achieve overachieved to such a huge huge degree in his first season. And look, the East took a major step up in quality going from the previous season to this season. The Knicks were never, a number four seed, right, you know, right. they, it was a great run to get to the playoffs, and Thibodeau got the max out of that team in his first year. But um, I, I didn't find it shocking that they slipped to the, the degree they they did. The reality is the free agent signings they made, you know, Kemba Walker primarily, Evan Fournier, they they didn't click. And now, if the Knicks want to make significant changes, they're going to have to move salary first. They they don't have cap space to go Mm -hmm. out and make significant moves so they will try to trade Kemba Walker they will try to trade some other players to loosen things up they would love to go after Jalen Brunson in Dallas to bring him in as their point guard but at this point they they don't even have the salary cap space to do it but I actually now want to ask you a question having left Western New York in 1978 the same summer that my Braves left Mm -hmm. if you who is the most popular nba team in the in the region are, are would you say there are lots of Knicks fans like i'm just kind of curious is there a way to generalize hmm. people I, in buffalo who like the nba who would you who would you who would you think is their favorite team i'm kind of curious about that
1: i think it's a great question and i think because of the scar tissue that this fan base here in buffalo and this this city has had around the two major sports teams just really let's put it blankly like they just have not had a lot of success except for recently with the bills right so I think that there had been especially during the Kawhi run in Toronto a lot of people that started to turn their attention you know an hour and a half two hours north to that Raptors team and what a run that was but it was short-lived and and I think kind of you go back to the reality of this and I do think there are a lot of Knicks fans here in Western New York um, and then otherwise like I, I think that you could have people here that are quietly rooting for Cleveland um, in the Cavs because there was a lot of crossover there's a lot of like that same scar tissue that exists in Cleveland obviously they want to they want a championship with LeBron but prior to that I mean it's a very similar feel in Cleveland with their sports franchises than here in Buffalo so I would say it's probably a mix between Toronto Cleveland and the Knicks I would tell you there's probably more Knicks fans here in Buffalo than they'd be willing to admit
2: yeah it's funny that you mentioned Cleveland just because I left the area so young. I left when I was nine. So obviously I was not doing a lot of driving at the age of nine. I had (laughs) (laughs) no idea that Cleveland and Buffalo was such a straight line drive. It wasn't until until the LeBron years that I was in Cleveland and somebody said, you realize it's only a three-hour drive to Buffalo. I'm like, no, I did not realize that. And so every time I go to Cleveland now for NBA business, I always build in a way to you come home, but it's just funny that I, I I didn't even realize that just having left so young.
1: Yeah, and you know I actually you know speaking of that, the the distance there I would have pregame driven down and then drove back postgame. It's you know two and a half three hours uh, right down the ninety straight shot. Um, so I would have gone to LeBron's last game um, in Cleveland um the year that they got swept so that would have been 2018 um i think right so i would have gone to game two of that series in cleveland as my first ever nba finals game there just happened to be a couple of cheap you know upper level tickets it was an unbelievable experience but like to your point i got to drive to another city and drive back in the same day and go see an nba finals game to tell you how close it is to each city
2: well i'm uh i'm I'm still trying to work on. We, we got to get an NBA exhibition game in Buffalo. I'm, There's no reason no, not no, to. Nobody really listens to me, but uh, believe me, I'm uh, I'm trumpeting that one as much as I can to anybody who will listen someday. Someday it will happen, and I will be there. I promise.
1: So listen, Mark, you know, if you go back a couple of years ago, I would have been in college at the time. Um, The Knicks and the Sixers played at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. It was like the Carmelo Anthony return, and Carmelo had just rebuilt this big practice facility at the University of Syracuse. I went to that game, and they packed the dome for a preseason NBA basketball game. So you can't tell me here people in Western New York and Central New York aren't just chomping at the bit to get an NBA game, even if it's a preseason or next exhibition game, like, especially with where the NBA is starting to go, talking about these mid-season tournaments, man, they should be trying to grow the game. Have those tournaments played at a at a neutral site in cities that don't have NBA teams. That's how you grow the game, you know?
2: Well, I am, I am rampantly against the in-season tournament, but... As am I, by pushed- the way. Yeah. But if they put some of it in Buffalo, that will change my opinion very
1: quickly. <laughs> so, Mark, last thing I got for you before I let you go. Obviously, I know you being a, a, a Buffalo sports fan. My thoughts, you know, what, what are your feelings about this Sabres team? Because they went into the end of the last year with a lot of good vibes, probably the best vibes I've felt here um, in close to a decade. Is there some promise that this team is, is going to start to make its way back to where they were for really the better part of the late 90s and, and, and the mid-2000s? I mean, I really have
2: tried to maintain the optimism. You know, I'm not going to lie; I
1: was just
2: a massive, massive, massive Eichel fan. I, I just was. I was super invested in the whole tank to get him. Like I, you know, I tell the story all the time. That the you know before that draft, the Sabers were in Dallas, and there's actually a huge Buffalo presence in Dallas. And and when the Sabers make their annual visit here, I mean, there are. Tons of Sabres fans, and I've never, you know, I'm as a, you know, I'm a journalist, but but when I get to watch the Sabres, I'm completely just a fan, and I've never had an experience like that in my life because the Sabres took the lead three times in their game in that game, ended up losing to Dallas, but like Sabres fans didn't know what to do because we didn't <laughs> want to win because we didn't want to mess up the tank, yeah, and just I I never, it, that's a, that's just a sporting experience in my life that I, I will. I will never forget. So I mean, it, it was you know personally hard to watch him go. But I mean, look, it looks like the team is in a better place. I mean, obviously, I think everybody's excited about the way power came in mm-hmm. at the end of the season and looks so good. So I mean, we we are very due for a turnaround. So let's hope that this that the way the season finished were were the seedlings for. I mean, we are. Uh, you know, overdue isn't even the worst right.
1: playoff spot. I, I completely agree, Mark. And and first and foremost, thank you so much for being so uh, you know so generous with your time and joining us here on a Saturday afternoon. I'm a big fan of yours. Have been since your time at ESPN. Um, so really appreciate it um, and your time. And uh, would love to do it again sometime. Otherwise, enjoy your summer um, and enjoy the, uh, the 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 rest of the finals. It's uh, set up to be a doozy.